Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Spotlight. I'm Bruno Alves, Senior Editor at Infrastructure Investor. Our guest for this edition is Tom Osborne, Executive Director at IFM Investors and former Head of America's Infrastructure in the Investment Banking Division of UBS. On the agenda was President Biden's infrastructure plan. Since our conversation, the $2.3 trillion American Jobs Plan has evolved into a $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure plan. While it still needs to clear Congress, the new plan is friendlier towards the private sector, specifically mentioning public-private partnerships and asset recycling as funding mechanisms. But even before the plan evolved into its latest, more private sector-friendly iteration, Osborne argued there would be significant scope for private capital participation. I'm very firmly of the view that there's going to be absolutely plenty of opportunities for private capital to participate. I mean, the simple fact is there's no other way for the president to achieve his ambitious goals. The U.S. public infrastructure investment gap today, well, between now and, and 2029, is, is estimated at $2.6 trillion by the American Society of Civil Engineers. And meantime, there are hundreds of billions of dollars of dry powder among direct equity investors who are looking to put capital to work in infrastructure. And that's equity capital that can be leveraged substantially in most cases. Uh, so it translates to hundreds of billions of asset value. And this is why we've heard Secretary Yellen of the Treasury mention several times recently that the private sector will have an important role to play in helping to close that gap. I think it's also important to remember that much of the investment in U.S. infrastructure, apart from the transportation and education sectors, is already being done by the private sector. So, for example, the U.S. energy sector and the electric and gas utilities and, and some water and wastewater utilities, the vast majority of the telecommunication industry. So the question is really whether U.S. public infrastructure owners will tap private capital to close the investment gap. And this pertains to sectors like roads and ports and airports, bridges and certain water and wastewater systems. And I, again, I, I think the answer to that will be yes. While PPPs, or P3s, as they're known across North America, have been used steadily in the U.S. over the years, they've perhaps not been used in the numbers the industry would like. Is that perhaps because PPPs are not well adjusted to the idiosyncrasies of the U.S. market? My own view is that the problem is not that the PPP model itself is broken. You know, PPPs have been shown to work just fine in the U.S., when they're properly structured to balance the objectives of the government grantor or the concession against those of the private investor. I'm thinking of the many successful examples out there, both of greenfield and brownfield concessions, assets like the Indiana Toll Road, the LMM Airport in San Juan, the PR22 Toll Road in Puerto Rico, Chicago Skyway, Uh, Elizabeth River Crossing, Seagirt Terminal in Baltimore, the Port of Miami Tunnel. I mean, these are all examples of successful PPPs in the U.S. The issue is rather that most of the state and local governments who control the nation's investable public infrastructure have yet to be convinced that there is value to be generated for their local constituents by partnering with the private sector instead of simply borrowing and building. And there are several reasons for this. The first is that the $4 trillion taxpayer-subsidized municipal securities market encourages borrowing instead of investing for the future. 
So ultra low cost borrowing available to state and local governments has led many decision makers to the mistaken conclusion that cost of capital is the only relevant criterion for determining how to finance a project. And that means that they sometimes overlook the incremental value that they can generate by shifting risk away from the public sector and introducing innovation and efficiencies and by holding a private sector concessionaire responsible for project delivery over its entire service life, not just on the commercial operation date. Acid recycling is another framework which has proven very successful in Australia, but is yet to gain traction in the US. Now that it's actually contemplated in the new bipartisan infrastructure plan, what needs to happen for acid recycling to take off? What needs to change for it to take off is that proper incentives need to be put in place. I'm talking about incentives that will encourage US state and local government officials to consider alternatives to traditional borrow and spend project delivery models. You know, all too often in the US, local officials are encouraged by politics and the availability of low-cost taxpayer-subsidized borrowings to focus on ribbon cuttings, but not on thoughtful planning. So what a properly structured program of infrastructure investment incentive grants will do is create opportunities for state and local governments to generate new sources of revenue in the form of lease income and then qualify for a federal grant. The concept is very simple. Lease an existing operating infrastructure asset to a qualified private sector operator. Use the proceeds from that lease to invest in other infrastructure. And by doing that, you would qualify for a federal bonus grant. In Australia, for every dollar of federal grant that was offered, over $6.50 of economic infrastructure investment was generated. So we're talking about very meaningful bang for the buck. Legislation for a program of this type is currently pending in the U.S. Senate. We call it Infrastructure Investment Incentive Grants, or I3G, and we're working to get that legislation included in the upcoming infrastructure package. Of course, the challenge with U.S. infrastructure is that whatever gets decided at a federal level needs to get buy-in from stakeholders at the state, local, and municipal level. IFM is a well-known proponent of acid recycling in the U.S., so I asked Osborne how different public stakeholders have reacted to the concept. In the U.S., um, the vast majority of public infrastructure is owned and controlled at the state, local, or municipal level. And you know, that has been one of the challenges for investors in creating opportunities for investment. At the federal government level, you have, I think, a good degree of sophistication about the issues with our current infrastructure investment system. For example, in surface transportation, the fact that the gas tax is not properly indexed for inflation and hasn't been raised for political reasons in many, many years. So it's failing to keep up with its uses, its needs to fund the nation's highway program. But at the federal government level, we've had very good receptivity to a program of investment incentive grants, both sides of the dome and both sides of the aisle in Congress. At the local level, there is also good receptivity, but it's more scattered. You see that receptivity in communities that have already successfully tapped 
public-private partnerships to achieve their investment goals. And that's limited to you know, a relatively small handful of communities relative to the 50,000 local authorities that are managing large swaths of the infrastructure across the U.S. And it's true that ownership and control of U.S. public infrastructure by local authorities is diffuse. Um, but the practical reality is that only a fraction of those authorities control infrastructure projects or assets that would be viable candidates for public-private partnerships. Uh, this would include assets that generate revenues like toll roads or bridges or airports or water and wastewater systems. It would also include assets like non-tolled bridges that authorities would be willing to concession by providing availability payments, just as the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania has successfully done with its bridge repair and maintenance program. Another way in which the federal government is often seen as being able to help catalyze private investment into infrastructure is through the creation of a national infrastructure bank. I-squared Capital founder and chairman Sadiq Waba is a proponent of that idea, pointing out it could also play a role in advising state and local authorities seeking to enter into public-private arrangements. The new bipartisan infrastructure plan proposes the creation of an infrastructure finance authority, which will reportedly use $20 billion in federal money to catalyze $180 billion of private capital, primarily through loans and loan guarantees. Is the IFA just another name for a national infrastructure bank then? The proposed infrastructure finance authority appears to share many of the features of a national infrastructure bank of the type that a number of us were advocating for during the Obama administration. And at that time, the idea was to take the good aspects of the TIFIA loan program and extend those across a broader base of infrastructure asset classes. And for optimum flexibility and impact, we also wanted to correct one of TIFIA's significant drawbacks, which is the springing lien feature that attaches in bankruptcy. In other words, we wanted to allow for the creation of loans from a national infrastructure bank that could be truly subordinated. As for the IFA, I think it's encouraging that a number of senators have come together on a bipartisan basis to put forward a constructive solution to address infrastructure financing. So I have no objection to the proposal, but I do think it's fair to ask whether the IFA addresses the right problem in the right way. The issue is not that there's a lack of capital to fund infrastructure. There are hundreds of billions of dollars of debt and equity capital looking for a home in infrastructure. The issue is that there are too few investable projects to allow the private sector to do its part in helping municipalities to deliver infrastructure more efficiently at lower whole life cost and with lower risk to the public sector. So if municipalities want to borrow to finance infrastructure, they can do so in the $4 trillion municipal securities market. There's no need to create a whole new authority to do that. In my view, a better use of scarce federal capital and one that has a better proven payback is to provide incentives in the form of federal grants to state and local governments that invest in infrastructure using the proceeds from leases of existing infrastructure. The kind of grants program Osborne is describing was, of course, a key part of Australia's acid recycling framework. It would, however, be new in the U.S. Because the concept of infrastructure investment incentive grants is new in the U.S., what makes sense would be to initiate a pilot program 
that's relatively limited in size and scope that would provide proof of concept and allow both the federal government and state and local governments to get comfortable that this kind of grants program can be very effective as it was in Australia for both boosting and accelerating investment in local infrastructure. So in Australia, the size of the program was $5 billion of federal capital uh, that would be set aside for grants to state and local governments that lease existing infrastructure and commit to use the proceeds to invest in other infrastructure. As it turns out, the full $5 billion of federal capital was not used in the infrastructure program. It was between 2 and $3 billion, if memory serves, that actually did get used. But it was highly effective in achieving the goals of, of boosting and accelerating investment in infrastructure. And the grant program in Australia was conditioned, well, would provide a 15% match of the proceeds that were invested in other infrastructure. So, you know, I think in the U.S., those are probably pretty good guidelines for what could work as a pilot program for infrastructure investment incentive grants here. It may well be that a U.S. program is is smaller than $5 billion in its initial iteration, and that would still be fine in my view it does need to be sufficiently large to make it worth the while of state and local governments to engage in a public-private partnership rather than simply borrowing and spending. With a bipartisan infrastructure plan tantalizingly in sight, it is fitting to end our conversation by asking Osborne what he hopes the final version of the plan will do and also what his ideal version of an infrastructure plan would look like. My hope is that whatever passes will provide effective incentives for investment in the infrastructure of the future, uh, things that will help us to transition to a more sustainable energy economy and provide improved access to broadband and would foster innovation so that we can stay competitive in global markets and reduce our reliance on others for critical components of our supply chain. It's a really broad mandate. I would say ideally a U.S. infrastructure plan would be very thoughtfully tailored to allow the private sector to do its part in helping to close the infrastructure investment gap, to take risks that the private sector is better equipped than the public sector to manage. I think the ideal plan would provide opportunities for working people to generate fair returns on their retirement savings by investing in community assets that provide essential services reliably and at reasonable cost to the consumer. It would help create jobs and good jobs and address issues of inequality and inequity. And it would provide help in the form of grants to communities that take action to help themselves. Again, an example of this would be by generating new sources of revenue through a lease of existing assets and using the proceeds to invest in local infrastructure. So ideally, the legislation would include a program of infrastructure investment incentive grants, and that's exactly what we're working to see happen. That, again, was Tom Osborne of IFM Investors. If you want to hear more episodes of Spotlight, you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or on PI Media's various titles online. With Infrastructure Investor, I'm Bruno Alves. Thanks for listening.